morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. It's great to see everyone here in the building, and it's great for everyone at home that is watching to, to be able to see you in the chat. I had a quick, quick look, and everyone in the chat, it's great for you there. And it's also great for those that aren't able to watch it right now, but for able to watch it, watch it later. And yes, I'm back up here. I'm not hiding away behind the camera. I've gone back up, and I'm going to give you the the message today about the words, the ways, and the works of Jesus. So before we get into it, I'm going to pray again. Let's just bow our heads. Dear Father, I pray a blessing on this, on this message, a blessing on this word, that it may flow, flow through you, flow through us, and that as we hear it, we can just get to the crux and to the truth of what you're saying, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, we live in a post-crucifixion timeline, don't we? And so what I mean by that is we live in a time after Jesus' death. So he's taken up the cross and he's already died for us and he's made that sacrifice for us. Now we've heard the stories before and we know this is going to be happening as we go through Mark. We know that we're leading up to, up to this big moment. But for us right now in history, that's already happened for us. And so as we look at this first passage, this first section of Mark here, and it's titled, Jesus Predicts His Death for the Third Time. And because we live in this post-crucifixion timeline, we already go, all right, yeah, we already know what, what this one's about. We already know what, what's going to happen. He doesn't even need to give us his prediction because we know what's going to happen, don't we? We know what he's all leading to. And we've already had Easter this year, haven't we? And so we've already heard, heard the stories. And so we then keep going through it, and we, and we look at this next part, and it's something about John and James asking something, you know, about Jesus and blah, blah, blah. And then we move on to the next part, and it's, he goes, Jesus does another miracle, right? He heals the blind. Great. We've already heard him healing the blind. We know he's going to do it again. Cool. Awesome. Sweet. Guys, we've just nailed this message today. We can uh, move on to the next, next week's, right? We can move on to next week's message, right? We've, we already know what's going to happen. But no, nah, this isn't the attitude that we should be having right now. Even though these parts of this passage, we may look very similar to other parts, it's really important for us to take a step back and to look at what the Word is trying to say, but then look at what it's saying to the disciples there at the time so that we can then take it and have it and look, sorry, we can look at what, the, what it is for the disciples so that then we can look at it for our own lives. So let us re-read Mark 10, 34. Jesus predicts his death for a third time. So they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished. While those who followed were afraid, again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going to go to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and they will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will then rise. So like I said earlier, this is really easy for us to kind of really be dismissive about this, especially because this is the third time we're hearing this, and this is the third time the disciples are hearing 
this. And so we can, we can read this and go, ah, oh, we, already, we already know. And Jesus has already taken up the, up the cross for us, so for us it's a really kind of easy concept to grasp. But let's just take a step back and think that this would have actually been a really hard concept to grasp for the disciples. Let me put this into perspective for us. Imagine that, the lead, that there is a leader in your life or there's, there's a specific politician or political leader that you like, it's one of, the, one of the good ones, and you're following them and you're really getting behind their leadership, their characteristics, what they're bringing to the table, the actions that they're doing and what their party is doing. And you're like, yeah, we can, we can really get behind this, right? And so one day, when it's coming up to election time, that, that leader says, I've got to go to Canberra, I've got to go to Parliament, and for order for the party to win and for us to win, I've got to first die. He says this to you. And you're like, no. That's not how this works, right? They get elected and then they get put in. They don't die and then get elected. That's ludicrous, right? That's not, what, that's not how that happens. So to put it, for another example, if the, if the politician one didn't quite grab you, is imagine you're at work and your boss came up to you, or your manager came up to you, and you really like this manager, he's done really good stuff for you, and they say, oh, I'm gonna get a promotion, and you're like, excellent, you're gonna get a promotion. And I'm like, this promotion's gonna be really good for me, and this promotion, I can do great things through you and the team that I'm leading. And you're like, awesome, I want you to get promoted. And he's like, but I'm first gonna go be flocked, I'm gonna be beaten, I'm gonna have all my clothes ripped off me, and then I'm gonna be killed, and then I'm gonna get the promotion. And you'll be standing there going, what? No, that's not how promotions work, right? Promotions don't work like that. You get promoted and then, yeah, then you're done. But see, this is how the disciples would have felt as Jesus would have been saying to this of what was gonna happen to him, especially the first time. It would have been really hard. It was like, no, 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 it's just, it's just one of those metaphors he's saying, you know, it's just one of them stories. The second time he says it, and he's like, oh, okay, hang on. Third time he says it, and he's saying it right here, it, they're grappling with this, this, this concept because it's gonna be really hard, and it's really easy for us to understand this because it's already happened. But for them, it has not yet happened. And they probably would have understood it and especially for the third time, they, they, that understanding would have come. But they might not have completely forgotten it. Or they just didn't want to face the reality of what was going to happen. They didn't want to, they didn't want to accept it. Now, looking at this, this prediction, it, it beautifully goes on to the next, the next part. So we're going to bring up the passage again. It's Mark 10, 35, 40. Request of James and John. And we're only going to look at the, just, just, just this chunk of it. So, then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us what we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let us sit at your right 
and the other sit at your left in your glory. Do you know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at the right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared. James and John, this is a fair request for them to ask. You know, it's not, it's not outside of the realm of, of, of questions for them, for them to ask. It's, it's a pretty fair question for them to ask. And we've heard previously in Mark that, that these seats in heaven, these, these thrones, are going to be prepared for them and, so, and that they're for the disciples. And rightly so, James and John have gone up and asked the question. Any of us would have want, want we, we hear about some seats that, that are there for us. We want to ask which seats we want to get. It's like going to the movies and ordering your tickets. You want a good seat, don't you? Yeah, you either want, if it's a, at a play or a concert, you want to be right up the front, don't you? Or a movie, you want to be, you know, you want that, that seat, that perfect seat. And that's fair enough for James and John to ask. It's also quite fair that the disciples got quite angry and disgruntled just because they didn't get there first. But if we just take a minute to actually understand what that question, what that question is. Because if they truly did understand what they were asking for, would have they still asked it? So traditionally speaking, in terms of sovereignty and hierarchy, the king would be sitting in the center. So you've got their throne, and they would be in the center. They're the most powerful person in the kingdom. They're sitting on their throne, high above everyone else in the center. Now, the right-hand side was the second most powerful position. The second most important person in the kingdom sat on the right-hand side of the king. Second to that was the left-hand side. And so when Jesus asks, can you drink the cup that I drink from? The cup cup throughout the Bible, it, it has this symbol of one's experience or the actions that have already been taken or the actions that are going to be taken. And in Jeremiah, in chapter 25 specifically, Jeremiah speaks of Israel having to drink the cup of the Lord's fury. Jesus, in this previous passage that we've just looked at, has described what cup he's about to drink. James and John then ask this question. James and Sorry, Jesus then goes back and says, can you drink from the same cup? Jesus is essentially asking James and John, this is the price for glory. Can you pay it? So what did James and John? They're like, yes, yes we can. Excellent. We can do that. We can pay that price. We can drink from that cup, really enthusiastic, and you're like, great, awesome. 
but did they truly understand what that meant for them? Do they truly understand what that question was and what it meant to drink from the same cup that Jesus was about to drink from? See, through the book of Acts, when we jump ahead into, into Acts and after, after the crucifixion of, of Jesus and the resurrection, James is the first of the disciples to be killed. And James is the first to become a martyr. And see, when I first, I first read this, I was like, Woof, wow. Like, James wanted to be at the right-hand side. Jesus said, yes, but you have to drink from the same cup. And they're like, yes, we can do that. And what happens to James? He's the first to be killed and the first to be a martyr. John then becomes the last. Now, a scholar... A smart scholar wrote that if you knew the crosses that you had to bear, would you go after them? In other words, the hardships in life, if you knew what was coming up, if you knew the hardships in life that were coming, would you run after them? Would you go for them or would you run away? See, for Jesus, as they were traveling to Jerusalem, What Jesus was seeing, he was seeing his cross. He was seeing his cross that he was going to take up. What did John and James see? They saw thrones. They saw seats that were being prepared for them. And they're like, oh, excellent. They were getting really excited. But Jesus was seeing the cross and the crosses that everyone else were going to take. See, I think there's a misconception with, with Christians, and especially when we become Christians, that the misconception is that when we become Christians, everything in life is going to become easy. And that the minute you accept Jesus into your life, you have that relationship, you either get baptized, you get the royal dunking, that everything from that point forward, it's going to be easy. It's going to be a walk in the park. Everything's laid out for you. I just have to live life excellent, great but we all know that's not the case. We all know, and you know, even from my own, own experience, we all know that we were gonna have ups and downs through life. And now I'm not saying that becoming Christians mean it's gonna become harder for us. No, not at all. I'm not saying that we're going to suffer. No that we're still gonna have our ups and downs, but because Jesus had the, he took up the ultimate suffering, that he is then there with us as we go through our ups and downs of life. See, verse 40 says that there are places belonging, the places belong to those whom they have been prepared for. See, God uses you. He uses you in the very beginning. He has a relationship with you. And as you go through life, he uses these different events to mold and shape you. He's preparing you through all these different events so that he can get you 
to the seat so that you are prepared for it. Notice that it doesn't say these seats are there for you. These seats are there for them who've been prepared for. Now we all have these different hardships that we go through through in life. We have our ups and downs and we have the real great times which is awesome and then we also have the lows. But I wanna, I wanna leave you with three, three points to kind of take with you as you go both through the ups but also through the, through the downs. And, and, I, and I want you to be very mindful of, of, of it when, when you're going through the downs. And the first point is how are you responding to it? So as, as these hardships in life hit, and they don't even have to be real big, they can be small. They don't have to be the big, big ones, they can also be small. Any sort of, any sort of hardship is how are you responding to it? Because this is gonna show your true character, right? And that's fine, this is who you are. But it's important to identify how you're responding to it so that we, that we can learn from it and we can we can then mold or, or change or identify what we did really well so that we can continue down that path. Which leads us on to our second point. Does my response demonstrate Christ-like characteristics? So you does it respond does it demonstrate Christ-like characteristics? Pose yourself the question, are you responding in showing humility, faith, patience, love, or forgiveness? Just to throw out a couple of, the, of Christ-like values. And thirdly, what have I learned from it and how can God use it in my life? Because once we've identified how we're responding to it. We can then learn from, from it and we can use it as a tool. All these different aspects of life, all these different ups and these downs, we can use this as tools for ourselves but also for others. God sees our sufferings and our situations but uses them as tools for us to learn, for us to grow and to teach. We can share our experiences with others. If something's happened to us, we can then have that knowledge, have that empathy to then use it and to be there for others. I've got a, I've got a friend whose mother is suffering from Parkinson's and it's a real hard thing in his family. But the great thing is he's able then to be there for other people that are also in similar situations. He has another friend who he's able to be able to actually just talk through those situations because he's going through it, so he has the experience to then be able to talk through it with someone else who's going through that same, that same experience. We can bond over it. And, it, and it, and we can also witness to other people. They can see how our faith makes us strong, that even through the ups and the downs, that we can show off our faith and say God is good and with us. 
We can use these experiences for growth and knowledge and to witness so that those that might be suffering without hope can have hope and to show that God is there with us and he's got our back. See, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5 says, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we may be able to comfort those experiencing any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the suffering of Christ overflows towards us, also our comfort through Christ overflows towards you. We can use those experiences to comfort us. We can use Christ who suffered for us so that when we go through the ups and downs, we can then comfort those around us. But not only this, we can also use this as an opportunity to open up different aspects, different doors of ministry in our lives. It doesn't close down doors, it opens them up. A good biblical example is Paul. And if we look in Philippians, what happens to Paul? Paul is imprisoned, but instead of wallowing on his own pity, his own suffering, his own kind of I'm being shackled and imprisoned and oh woe is me. What does Paul do? Paul uses his situation and he is able to spread the good news to the guards that are around him. And that good news spreads throughout the entire Roman legion. That could be a real downer for Paul. That could close off so many doors for him in his own ministry. But what did Paul do? It opened up another door. And he was able to minister and pastor and spread the good news through that new open door. So I just want to reiterate the three points. How am I responding to it? Does my response demonstrate Christ-like characteristics? And finally, what have I learned from it? And how is God using this in my life? Now, as we come back into a time of worship, I just wanna pray. But if this has been stirring anything in your hearts, I wanna allow a time where I'm just gonna pause and you can pray into it. You can bring anything that is on your heart into this, into this space. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray today for everyone here, everyone at home, for everyone in this world. We all go through our ups and downs through life. Lord, we are so thankful. We are so thankful, Lord, that you are here in the joys of life. You are also there in the midst of the hardships. We are so grateful that your son has gone through the ultimate suffering, so that you can be there through our own suffering. And as we walk together, and as we walk towards the seats that you have laid out for us, that you are there with us, Lord.
Lord, hear what is on everyone's heart, Lord. Be with them. Mould them as you walk with them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now as we come back into worship, for those that have been really in, in these different times that we've had this year and as we come to the end of the year and we're reflecting on the past events and everything, I just want to leave you with just this, these lyrics from Casting Crowns that really stuck to me in this time. So I just want to say that for those that are struggling and those that are hurting, hear this. Joy still comes in the morning. Hope still walks with the hurting. Because if you're still alive and breathing, praise the Lord. Don't stop dancing and dreaming. There's still good news worth repeating. So lift your head and keep singing. Praise the Lord.